listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Well, I had a a bad experience running outdoors this weekend. I did my first outdoor run of 2023. Did not go super well. And it confirmed to me that I'm going to be doing mostly indoor quality work for the, the near future. But it has me back on that train thinking of, do I need an assault treadmill? or a manual treadmill, whether it's true form, assault air runner, or one of the other options out there. I just can't help but think every time I've used it, every step you take on there feels like compromised running, whether it's running through muck in a trail race or getting up off an obstacle and going, my rear chain needs more work always. And you have to pull on that thing. So I guess I just kind of want to crowdsource this thing. Does anyone have a reason to or not to? get a motorless treadmill. Hmm. That's what I want to hear. Do you feel like, so I've actually never, Ooh, I shouldn't say never years ago. I ran on a version of a, you know, human propelled treadmill, but, uh, do you feel like you could recover as well on there? No worse than going outside, I suppose. In terms of like doing a recovery Correct. run. If you need it, if you're in a pinch. Oh, I think I would only use it for work. For work. Yeah. That's what my gut tells me I'd use it for too. Yeah. I don't feel good running on it. I feel good working on it. Not good. It doesn't even feel natural just for me. Maybe with time you would. I don't have enough skill on it yet, but I think I would use it for for work. I have my other treadmill still. What's the price point? That's what I wonder. What's the price point on that? I haven't looked recently. Do you know? No, you're not going to get into anything under 2900 you can find you stuff because this is one of those machines that's like a... Ends up being a clothes rack after a while. Yeah, it's so specific that if you don't like it and use it from the start, you never use it. So there's some stuff for like 1700 bucks, 1900 bucks you can grab with. Like there's one today I looked on Facebook Marketplace, 208 miles lifetime on the mm. thing. It's not and it's listed for like 1900. And the treads, the, the the belts, the treads are rated for 150,000 miles. So it's it's not really a concern buying one of those used. I wish I had experience for you, but I guess you don't have a ton of experience with it either. I think like 10 times I've used it. Why don't you be the, the subject study? Why don't you just, it's just, it's just money back and just, just get one. Let everybody know. We are just big enough in this space that someone should just send us one. <laughs> are we? Yeah. We should start commanding free things. You know, to shift brands to Nordic track, which I've been using <laughs> since 2017. So I don't know about you, but... <laughs> My belt has gotten slipperier and slipperier and slipperier over the years to the point. Mine's so slick right now. To the point in which it's like somebody put some Crisco on it. It's so bad that the only, even at 15%, I can only run in my VJ shoes on there now. Yeah. And flat, I will get a slip in my push off now. So I'm assuming, I don't know if you have experience with this, but I think everything's just so worn out on that belt. I just need to replace it. Unless something I'm missing with it, but yeah. I used to be able to do uphill work in any shoe, a road shoe even, and I would grab. And now I can't do it unless I have VJs on. And the VJs grab beautifully, 
but it's my only option now. You've experienced this? Yeah, and, and this is funny because we're, they're a victim of their own success or we're a victim of their own success now where my first new two machines, the motor gave out before I, I ran through a belt. Hmm. I, I didn't make I didn't make it to slippery on either of those machines because I broke it first. But this is the first one. This one I've had now for four years. And so the belt is worn and the motor is still going strong. Yeah. So they finally made one durable enough to get to this point. But I used to do 30% work. 35 in Nike Lunar Racers, exactly. which had foam bottoms with just a little bit of smooth rubber on it. Can't do that anymore. Yeah, there's no way. I would I would actually end up off the treadmill uh, in a shoe like that right now. Anyways, I think I need a new belt is what I'm getting at. So you have the same thing going on. It must be a wear yeah. and tear issue. Um, I did this thing. Uh, this is so dumb. So I have spray glue, like uh, like it comes out of an aerosol can, right? It's like spray glue. Mm-hmm. And my dumb idiot self thought, well, I'm just going to run the treadmill belt. I'm going to spray it with this spray glue, right? This is going to work. I'm I'm brilliant, right? And because I'm either to the point of no return, I'm like, this thing is either, it's either I need to get a new belt or this is going to save me. But what happens or what has happened is so I sprayed the whole thing with the glue, nice coating. It was so sticky. Every time your foot hit, it would be like that ripping sound every time. Well, eventually the glue attracts dust and the dust ends up coating the glue. And then it all had become, it's not like a thick layer, right? It was a very thin layer, made it tacky. Not only that, but the Mm -hmm. glue got on my shoes. So my shoes walking around the house picked up every little piece of lint and trash and the belt ended up picking up every little piece of lint and made it even slicker. So it's a mess, Bracken. It's a mess is what it is. Don't spray glue your treadmill belt, folks. Learn from my lesson. Uh, is there some shame with that? That's Maybe good. a little bit. And, and it worked for about a run until it didn't. And now it's terrible. Chalk that up as some of the dumber things oh, I've ever good. done. That reminds me, back in the day, Hobie and I and Jung Young Pack, I think, we were three of the first people in the sport of OCR trying to take it really seriously. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the moves and techniques you see now were created in that era. Hobie was the first one to roll through barbed wire. I was the first one to flip over the cargo net or the walls, uh, little things like that. It's, it's not about tooting our own horns. Just we were playing and tinkering at yeah. that time. Every race you get to, one of the three of us would have a new thing we'd been trying and we tried out in a race. And during the race, someone would be like, whoa, I got to start doing that. Uh, so most of the things that are used now were developed there. But a lot of things we tried developing that are not used mm-hmm. now because they were terrible. And one of those was Hobie tried using the opposite of what you're talking, which was spraying a hydrophobic spray on shoes and shorts so that you could get out of water and mud and have everything beat off (laughs) Uh, and not stick to you. And he tried, and I forgot what it was. It was some sort of spray that you see on infomercials where, you know, you step up out of the oil and the muck and it just beads right Mm -hmm. off your shoes. And he coated his shoes with that and his shorts. He sprayed his shorts and it was just a resounding failure. That doesn't surprise me. And I'd forgot about that for almost a decade. But yeah, we were back trying everything we could. And that was one of them. The things we do. That was one of them. All the different types of clubs we tried before realizing none of them worked. It sounds less boneheaded than what I did in hindsight. I really should have thought that one through, but um, people tinker. We're tinkerers. Mm-hmm. Well, I cornered myself and I needed a new belt. So I would have been afraid that it wouldn't be dried. And as the belt 
cycled through the the spray would flick off onto the actual motor and oh. in, the, in the the underbody of the treadmill and gunk it up well this is a few months ago and have had no issues luckily so i think i'm in the clear but um anyway yeah. stupid if you have something go wrong with the treadmill you're gonna have to cut that belt off before you have the technician come out well and now at this point you can't tell you don't know why it's so slow you can't really even tell it oh, okay. from the visual so um Okay, moving on. Enough about my dumb decisions. Um, folks, uh, we are a little late on our Friday episode this week with Diane Miller. Uh, Bracken uh, had a heck of a time editing that episode, didn't you? Yeah, and sometimes we have an idea. This one's going to be a nightmare to edit. This one wasn't one of those. But the audio files were so garbled and distorted out of order that it was it – was, probably top five worst jumbled jobs we've had to deal with. And there was no, this wasn't one of those where the call kept disconnecting like we used to have, or someone was on bad internet. I I don't know why this was, hmm. but it was bad. Well, thanks for dealing with that. We got that episode out on Sunday. Uh, Diane Miller, one of my uh, longtime athletes, clients, and friends, one of my favorite people. Um, I'm going to label this a top 10 episode, uh, potentially of all time. After 300 of episodes, I'd say that holds some weight. Um, I know oftentimes when, uh, for me, I listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, outside of the endurance space in the endurance space. And if I see a name, I don't know, or recognize sometimes I'm easy to brush it over. Don't do that with this one. Go mm -hmm. listen. I'm not even gonna tell you what it's about. Um, but it changed the way I look at things significantly in regards to one certain aspect of our sport. Yeah. And I think it did the same for you. So great conversation. Go listen to it. I agree. It was one of those, it's not the conversation you listen to for maximum entertainment. This is one for personal growth. Yep, exactly. So wanted to give that, uh, give that shout out since that was a late release and also a great conversation. Um, let's dive into our topic today. This, um, this topic that we were talking about, I would say is something I've been experimenting with maybe a little more than you lately. Would you agree with that? Yes. Um, a lot. More. Okay. Well, I don't know with a lot of your compromised efforts, if you, if you have a version of this that you've been doing, but. Um, today's topic is the power of prescribed recovery. And that doesn't mean rest, like recovery as in going easy or rest. What that means is prescribed recovery within quality sessions. Like we always focus on, oh, I'm going to try to run 5k pace for my 800 meter repeats. And then I'm going to have an easy jog recovery for 90 seconds or whatever it might be. Well, actually giving a purpose to your recovery portion of your quality sessions. Um, if you're one of my athletes, you're going to have seen recently, you know, I'm prescribing your recovery pace, but not prescribing your quality pace. It's like, what I want you to do is hit a certain pace for your recovery and the quality is going to be what it's going to be. And so we often glorify the mm -hmm. prescribed hard effort pacing, but we don't give patronage or service lip service to the recovery pacing and so, or effort. And so that's what we're going to talk about the power of prescribed recovery today. Yeah. I'm going to give you all the credit for, for implementing this into my training because it's something I get away from. We talked about on the, I don't remember which episode, maybe the, how we've changed as coaches where I talked about, I'm really comforted by set rules mm -hmm. and, and easy uh, templates to follow. And that was hard to break out of. But one of the things I never really fully broke out of was my intervals were on or they were off. You're going hard or going very easy in recovery because I was always, always driven towards the, the pace I'm trying to hit for the on. Yep. 
or the effort I'm trying to hit, what I'm trying to get out of that. And then it was take whatever the rest is prescribed in terms of time in order to recover to the appropriate level to get back to work on the on. Mm. And that's the way it's been done for, you know, over a century. It's really tried and true. It's effective. It's very, very good practice. But like anything else, you can't do it exclusively because there are flaws. It will cover up holes in your fitness. And those types of holes that it covers up are the types of holes that I naturally have. Hmm. And so it's ironic that it took you and Tyler German, I think, to kind of snap me out of this pattern I was in of doing things that were intended to fix some of my flaws, but we're still covering up other flaws. Yeah. And I will say that Tyler German's episode, um, which is also another great listen from a pure elite runner. I learned a lot from that. He had a lot of good perspective, but you know, the, the power of a float recovery, which really is a prescribed rate of work. That's mm -hmm. just a little less than the actual interval rate of work being. And he talked about that and that got my wheels turning even more tried a couple of the workouts that he had kind of hinted at in his interview and found, oh my goodness, like this is profoundly different than hard rest or hard, very easy. And when you think about it, mm -hmm. working the pointy end of the spear and allowing yourself a lot of rest, like true rest, slow recovery makes a lot of sense. If you're potentially going anaerobic in your effort, if you're racing, let's say you could justify it anywhere, but let's say racing less than five minutes, a mile or less where it's very important to race at, to, to reach high pacing at efficient striding. Uh, but it's not extending out further to 10 minutes, 15, an hour long race effort. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about teaching to the test on this podcast a good bit. Like sometimes you should teach to the test. Sometimes you shouldn't. And often what I'm just, I'm finding is that hard, fast intervals with true recovery, which is really allowing you to reset isn't really teaching to the endurance test. It's not teaching you to run a better 5k mm. or half marathon because where's the recovery on race day? There is none. So what it teaches your body to do and your metabolic processes, in my opinion, what I'm finding is it teaches you to recover while still working. And that is profound when it comes to translating to racing and extending your aerobic capabilities for longer races. I think I explained that how I feel about it. We'll get into details with it, but do you want to add anything to that? That made sense? No, I think that's a really good intro. So I don't know if adding to it is what I want to do, but I want to kind of explain how I think about this now. Yeah. That is that interval work is very, very good at working on the skill of running and on trying to have systemic like chemical changes inside your body. Run at lactate threshold recover down under it, run back at it, recover under a run at 5k pace, and then get your heart rate down under 130 or 120, then do it again and that kind of thing. And then the balancing side is how do I get ready for races where I don't get that rest? That's where a lot of tempo running comes in Yep, where you're doing a 20 to 40 minute run at a prescribed pace. And that's where you get work on constantly buffering lactic acid uh, or, or lactate. And that's where you work on working through a little fatigue in your stride. But the downside of that is it's generally significantly slower than what you're going to actually race at. So you're doing partial race training on that day and partial skill and system training on the other day. And then you combine them together into this race. And what we're talking about here with prescribing your pace on your recovery is kind of the mashup of both of them where you get to work fast 
enough on your ons that you're getting a lot of that work, but you have to work fast enough on your off that you're not really resting. And then you also get very, very good at kind of surviving little dings during races where a slight hill or a slight surge or overworking a section, you get better at not having to keep like this perfectly steady output line across the board. You can have an up or down and, and survive it. So it is more race specific in that it works on some of the actual skills you're going to use on race day. Yeah. And I think there's a place for all three, right? Like go out and do your threshold or your tempo uh-huh. work, do yeah. your short, spicy biomechanical efficiency, VO2 max work. And then kind of bringing them together feels I'm doing a lot of this on the road. Now I've done some on my treadmill. Um, if this doesn't really embody what let's say trail racing does to your, your cardio output, um, OCR with spikes and dips in your heart rate response. Yeah. It's just, it's a really good way to, and even on the roads, hills, surging, running into wind, having wind at your back, working on the uphill, coasting on the downhill, which will help you recharge to run just as fat fast once you get back to flat running or whatever. Um, have you ever looked at like, um, some of your heart rate data from like a trail race or a Spartan race? or an OCR, it's very interesting to see how all over the map it can be versus, let's say, uh, just a flat road race. You're going to see in a flat road race, you're going to see a nice, just gradual, gradual uptick, 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 all the way to the finish where you kick home, hit your max heart rate for the effort and finish. This heart rate graph from working prescribed recovery often looks more like it's going to look a little cleaner, of course, because this is a set workout, but a lot like a trail race might look or a lot like an OCR race might look. You're going to sort of emulate the response it forces your body into. And that's what I've, I've seen on a lot of my data. Yeah, it's true. And, and to me, this is a clean version of compromised running Yeah, where you start your next on section of the interval, slightly compromised because you don't fully recover and you start your recovery and have to work through fatigue on the recovery. And so both sides are slightly compromised, which means you spend more time using the stride feeling and type that you're going to use in the second half of a race rather than a standard interval workout where you start the workout, each interval starts pretty clean and then you fatigue throughout it and degrade. And then you fight the second half of the interval in this workout, you kind of work all of the interval after the first round or two. So it's just another, it's a different type. And for someone like myself who can run interval work very well, but struggles to have staying power and form and everything in the second half of longer efforts. This is a type of workout that can really work on those holes in my fitness. But because it's a workout that requires more going by feel rather than just saying last time I ran 515 pace or 815 pace or whatever it is on my ons, and this time I got five seconds faster. Now you add the second variable as well, what happened on my offs? So it's less clean to program, but races aren't really clean either. If you're running a road race, yeah, sure. But the longer it gets, the more variance there has to be by running by feel. And then absolutely on the trails, cross country, mountains, uh, OCR, those those types of races really require this ability. Yeah. And I think it's really important to build trust with your fitness. Um, yes. Uh, trusting that it can work when it doesn't feel ready to work hard again, let's say surging. And it also builds confidence in the fact that let's say you're running a strategic race and you're choosing 
to hold back a little bit for a while to strategically be able to surge when it makes sense. It's just tr- you, you build a trust with your body that it's going to do what it's told. And I know I, I mentioned that, that that phrase a couple of times like throughout the recent episodes, but it really teaches your body to do what it is told. And when you tow a start line and you say, I can tell my body what to do and it will do it, building that trust, like that's everything, isn't it? I think I think that's everything. And so yeah. I actually wanted to outline something. And again, we're going to get to specifics, but just over a year ago, I did a five, four, three, two, one fart lick. Um, two rounds of five minutes, four minutes, three minutes, two minutes, one minute, and everything was half run recovery. Now I repeated this workout Saturday. So just over a year apart, same workout. Can I interrupt you please, Kirk? Yes, please do. When I listen to certain podcasts from time to time, one of the, I, as everyone knows, I rarely listen to other podcasts, but when I do, it's usually because there's an athlete or a coach on there who I'm interested in hearing about how they train. And one of my mm-hmm. biggest pet peeves is Uh-oh. someone starts talking about a workout and they tell just enough of it that they know what they're talking about Ooh. and I don't quite get it. Thank you for slowing me down. You and I both know the workout you just described, but not everyone's going to to have the full workout scripted out in front of them. So could you please break it down in detail what the 54321 Fire Lake with half recovery looks like? Yes, sir. Thanks for making me do that. You're welcome. I was gonna. I was just trying not to bore people with the details, but the de- the devil is in the details, I suppose. They're on our running podcast. That's a good point. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and and we're in a, a place where we we we're just getting put in our place constantly here on this podcast. So you got to keep that that train going too, Bracken. Uh, that's a hint <laughs> at what what happened on our last interview with Diane Miller. Anyways, so the the workout is this. Both ends of it are roughly a 15-minute warm-up and a cool-down. That's my standard with some surges on the front end and everything. But when you get into the bulk of this workout, it is five minutes, let's just call it hard, a tempo effort. I had prescribed pacing. So five minutes hard tempo effort, two and a half minutes recovery effort. I do that twice. Then I do four minutes hard tempo effort, two minutes recovery effort, do that twice. And I walk my way down, three minutes, two minutes, one minute, and everyone has half the amount of recovery. And I do that. So it turns out to be 30 minutes of quality, hard effort when the workout's said and done and 15 minutes of recovery effort. So it's 45 minutes from start to finish. And then you add on the cool down and the warm up on top of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So every work bout is followed by half of the duration of that work bout is taken as recovery. So five gets you two and a half, three gets you one and a half, two gets you one half the duration yep. of time is spent recovering after each rep. And you did two rounds of each rep. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, two, one, one. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and not like a super innovative workout, but a very effective VO2 max type workout, which was what I was going for in this session. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a rolling start, meaning I'm not stopping stretching. I'm going right into it, right? I want to just get my heart rate up and keep it there. Um, Point being, so a few different metrics um, that I want to point out with this. Last year, in December, I wanted to recover somewhere around 7.30. I didn't even pay attention. I just said went easy. It roughly was 7.30 mile pace was my easy. And then I got into my hard efforts. I didn't plan it. I just, it was what it was. Saturday, my prescribed recovery was between 6.30 and 6.50 pace a very high uptick. 
especially for the output on my hard intervals. This did two things. One, for example, my overall average pacing from my workout last year was like 611 pace, mile pace for the entire workout. My pacing for this workout was 552 pace. So roughly 20 seconds per mile faster, it just got out of me. My heart rate average was 152-ish from my original effort about a year ago. My heart rate average for this effort was 160. That includes warm-up and cool-down, may I remind you, which is a big effort. Hmm. By the end of the workout, my heart rate was not dropping below 150 during my recovery periods. It was staying in the 150s for my, in quotes, rest. Yet I still hit or exceeded Hmm. every metric on my quality that I had a year ago. So what does this tell me, right? This tells me, one... My fitness is better because my top end metrics stayed the same or even got a little better, but I was recovering at a much higher rate of work. This basically took me in and out of lactate threshold the entire time. I'm breaching, getting up to VO2 max, Mm -hmm. then dipping down, and I'm getting so much time on the rise to start each interval and on the down as I'm in quotes recovering that this whole workout turned into a giant threshold run forcing me to dip into VO2 max. What is that? Obstacle course racing, trail racing, hitting a big hill, and then coming back out of it. But my heart rate didn't have enough time to lower, notably because I had a prescribed pacing. And so the work this got out of me, I'm not saying these workouts are easy, nor am I saying that they're terribly fun at times, but dang, they are effective. And so I got 45 minutes of threshold work, dipping into VO2 max work, biomechanical efficiency work on the two minute and one minute intervals because I could run faster because they were shorter. And I made this really nice conglomerate of all the pieces of fitness that we need when we step on a race course. I could have went out and ran a threshold run for 45 minutes and that would have been very effective and have been nice, clean graph. But within that now, I got a lot of other efficiency work. Like I said, VO2 max type work, buff breach lactate threshold. And God, is that not just a nice workout sandwich that you can make for yourself? And I just feel like there's some power to that style. And so I just wanted to compare the two workouts, what it did, higher heart rate, faster overall pacing, was still able to hit everything with purpose. And here I am feeling really good about my fitness and what I did. And so, and all I cared about Bracken was what I was running on my recovery. I said, the hard paces are going to be what they're going to be, but my recovery isn't going to change. And so... I just wanted to outline a comparative there between two workouts about a year apart. I'm glad you did. And you used the word conglomerate. And I think that's a really good way of thinking about this because it kind of identifies all the pieces of this workout. Not only are the metrics a conglomerate of multiple pieces, you've got your on pace and your off pace rather than just one metric. Mm-hmm. It not only are the the kind of the takeaways conglomerate, you can say, well, I got better at recovering or I got better at working fast at the same recovery or I got more rounds in or whatever. But this is also the reason the conglomerate part of this is the reason that people don't prescribe this very often. Mm-hmm. It's, the rece- it's the reason that I program intervals more than I program fartlicks is because you're giving athletes so many moving pieces mm-hmm. that it can be difficult for them to understand, implement, or just get excited about because it's less clean. And so intervals are easy to, to say, go out and run 10 minute pace and then rest for a minute. Another athlete, give them the same workout. You go out and run five minute pace and then rest for a minute. 
it's it's easy to give and it's easy to take back. Well, here's how it works, but that uh, the conglomerate portion of this gives you actually more wins, I think, more opportunities for the win in the workout if you're able to wrap your mind around how I attack this. So I, I've been doing a workout and I've been running. I started it at 15% inclined and then I moved it down to 10 and now I'm down to six, but I was doing a fart lick as well. One, two, three, one minute on, one off, two on, two off, three on, three off with no range limit. And I set my recovery. Let's just say I was recovering at six miles per hour at 10% incline. I was trying to work two miles per hour more than that, but I was willing to take what I could get to remain at six miles per hour on the off. That's how it started. So in the beginning, workout one, I started at 7.5 miles per hour on the on and six on the off. And by the end, I was down to 7.2. 7.2 miles per hour, uh, 7.2 miles per hour on the on, six on the off, and I made it three rounds. Well, the next week I did it again. And this time I started at 7.5 and I kept it at 7.5 for three rounds. Well, then the next week I had an option. I could either move up another round or I could make my on faster or I could make my off faster. And so I did. I took the off and I made it slightly faster. I moved that up to 6.5 miles per hour. And then I tried to hit my original fast pace, mm-hmm. which I reduced down to 7.2. So now I was going 7.2, 6.5. And after a round of that, I thought I'm only not even a full mile per hour difference. That's not enough. So I went up to 7.5 and 6.5 and I made it three rounds. So it's giving you three options for a win in every workout. You can either get faster on the on, faster on the off, or hold what you're doing and get more rounds of it. All three are saying that you're gaining fitness or that you're getting better at even just handling the specific demands of what you're doing fitness-wise right now. And it muddies the water for an athlete. Well, what matters more? But it also gives you more freedom. If you're doing just the ons, let's say one on, one off, two on, two off, three on, three off, but you're resting in between rather than working, all you can do is get faster or gain more rounds. And you can't do that for as long. Like maybe two or three weeks, you're going to improve on that. And then it's just going to be, I need a new workout. But the way we're working on it currently, you might be able to do this workout for eight weeks Mm -hmm. because you have three different metrics to mess with. And it changes the dynamic of the workout so much that you can extend this kind of thing out for a long time and get a win every single time. So I think that that's, we, we were talking with Diane's workout about the power of controlling pace and just feeling good about it. This is one of those workouts. You nail an interval workout, you have one way that you won. This workout, you can fail and win at the same time. And so it's just a little bit more race applicable that now I walk in with more ways to win rather than just hold a pace the entire time. Now I can get in and out of bad spots. Preach, man. I'm really glad you said all that um, and cleaned up what I had said. I think um, I was going to touch on what Diane had said in our interview with her saying what makes her feel very successful is wanting to hit a pace and then going out and actually hitting it, the body doing what it was told right? Mm -hmm. Well, let's just say you don't know where your top end fitness is at and you create these markers to hit for your hard intervals. And then you fall short of that. That feels like a disappointment, but a nice, even though these workouts are difficult saying, okay, well, I'm going to at least recover at this pace. And if my top end metrics aren't where I want them to be yet, that's okay. Because I'm, I'm prescribing a rate of work throughout this entire thing that takes an emphasis off the top end metrics. 
And a lot of times that can be very powerful for athletes who one, don't feel really great about where their fitness is at right now. Two, don't know where their fitness is at right now. Or three, don't know how to approach their effort in a hard quality session. They're just not quite familiar with what that workout entails. Well, guess what? Let's worry about your recovery first. And then what will be will be on the hard sessions, whatever your body's going to give you. Mm-hmm. And it also makes sure you sneak in extra threshold work because it just puts you in that place. And who can't use more of that, right? And so yeah, I agree with you very much. It gives you like three opportunities to win. Well, I, my top end metrics weren't great, but that's probably because I was running a respectable pace for me on my recovery, which muddied the waters, which can actually be kind of a good thing. And then as you get more fit, you can see that progress on the top end. And that's kind of a fun thing to do. Um, and, and I bet you, you, cause you, what you increased your, your recovery from six miles an hour to 6.5, yet we're still able to hit the metrics you had hit previously. What does that tell you? It tells you you got more fit, right? Huge confidence boost. Although your top end metrics were the exact same. That's fun. Yeah. And now I get to sit there and now extend my top end. Right. And it is working two different skills. Yep. Even though you could say you could look at average pace for the workout and say you're working on one thing, which is getting faster overall. You're really working on two different, almost two different systems. One system is working faster when I need to and recovering stable. The other is getting the same amount of recovery off of more work when you raise up the lower end. And those are two totally different skills. Mm-hmm. And by raising up the lower end, you come into the faster interval, more compromised. And now you're using a different stride from the start. You're working for it. It's just, there's, it's so multifaceted in how you get something out of the workout, which is again, why a lot of times I don't prescribe this to people. Yeah. There's so much potential going on that people can overthink it. There's so much to explain that sometimes it's not worth it. Let's just start simple. Let's keep it simple and not worry about it. However, more and more, I'm feeling that the people like myself, people who aren't the mileage monsters, who aren't the huge engines that need to run faster, the people that have the ability to turn over, but they can't have st- their staying power just kind of trails off. This is a great way for them to work on race skills while still touching upon the other things. Yep. I agree. And if I'm a listener right now, listening to us, I'm probably, I probably have two uh, comments or questions. And that would be, one, I'm terrible at pacing. Like, I don't even think I can get my body to do something mm-hmm. like this. Like, I can't hit a prescribed pacing for a quality interval or session. How can I do this on both ends? Like, it's just tough to do. Like, this seems like a little too complicated for where I'm at. Yeah. Well, you're wrong. We're going to help you with that. The other question is, like, how do I implement yeah. this? Like, well, okay, this is great. I'm understanding what you're saying. Prescribed recovery, which means like we're still kind of working during our recovery is what we're getting at. Not like, oh, great, you can recover at super easy. It's going to let your heart rate get way down. Like we're not actually talking about that. We're talking about a recovery effort in which still is forcing you to do some sort of work is what we're getting at. So one, like that ain't for me, like I'm not there. You're wrong. And then two, like how do I approach this moving forward? Like what what are the, what's your advice for me? Right. We're just talking theory. So I want to cover those two things. I can see you want to jump in. So go ahead. No, I just think uh, there's a response to everything you said, which, you know, we're going to be able to get to all of Mm. those. And I would say that like anything else we've talked about, the simplest way to implement any workout we ever talk about is if it's pace based is treadmill. You start out on the treadmill. If you can't be trusted to maintain a pace, then don't worry about it. Worry about getting a feel for the workout first. I've been doing all my work on the treadmill because I'm not ready to run flat yet, but I can handle a good amount of work currently at six to 15% incline. So that's what I'm doing. 
and it's taking care of the pacing for me. So all I have to work on is really what I struggle with is sitting in it, staring at that monitor, realizing I still have three more minutes to go. And that pace, I just really want to reach out and bump it down a little bit. But no, you just need to sit in this for a little bit. There's a real power to having to do that. So the treadmill is always an option. If you can't pace or you struggle with it, or you're not confident that you're going to get what you need to out of the workout, you start on the treadmill. I don't think there's any shame in that. No, I've been using the treadmill more and people follow me on Strava. It's my things lit up with treadmill work lately and my fitness is still good outside. So yep, Mm -hmm. that's okay. Um, Two points I want to make on that in addition to yours. And I was going to make the treadmill point. You beat me to the punch is second. There seems to be like some people just don't understand their watches yet. Like you just don't understand your Garmin. You don't know how to use your technology correctly. So you're like, just, I'm not going to do that. Like I can't, I don't even understand how to use my watch. Um, because you have to rely on your watch heavily in a session like this. I'm checking my watch every 10 seconds, 15 seconds, just quick Mm -hmm. flip of the wrist, looking to make sure I'm where I need to be at. If most of you run Garmin's, which I trust you do, you're going to start your run and it's going to show your home screen face. And if it's set like anything like mine out of factory settings, it's going to show your current pace, not your projected mile pace. It's going to show your current pace, what you're actually running in the moment. It's going to show your overall lapse time and your heart rate on top if you have a monitor, uh, one that measures heart rate. So all you simply do is push down one time, one time. And that next screen shows you your lap pace. Well, your watch comes default to mile pacing if you're here in the United States anyways. And so you move to that screen and it will tell you what your pacing is at projected for the mile. So it's showing you your mile pacing. So go to that screen and live and die by that screen. That screen is everything. That screen is my lifeline in these workouts. So just it's that next screen down. It shows your projected lap or mile pace. That's the one that matters. Otherwise, these workouts are very difficult to nail. Even for somebody like me that I feel very in touch with my body, that's one suggestion right there. And Mm -hmm. just live by it. Okay, Check constantly. And that's okay to do. The other thing is if you're still like, no. Like, no, I can't do that. That's not for me. Fine, you baby. Then just look at your heart rate. Set a heart rate limiter for your recovery instead. Say, okay, I can't do this pacing thing or these guys are nuts. Say, okay, as soon as my, I'm going to run and as soon as my heart rate gets down to 150, let's just say, I'm picking up the pace to make sure it doesn't get any slower than that. Pace doesn't matter then. Then you just look at your heart rate, give you a prescribed heart rate for those of you who don't want to look at pacing. And you want that heart rate to be higher than any sort of recovery run that you typically would go on. So let's say you shoot to stay for under 140 on your recovery runs. Well, we don't want to induce that. We're trying to stay working. So maybe your bottom limiter is 150. And so as soon as the heart rate starts to drop after your heart interval, drop, 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 it hits 150, you pick up the pace to keep it there. So those are my two outs for you other than the treadmill. One, live and die by that lap function screen. And then two, switch over to heart rate if if you still don't want to. Those are my suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. And the in addition to that, a way to simplify this and give yourself a fighting chance is early on, keep the interval durations really simple. Yep. You know, five, four, three, two, one might be too complicated early on. Because the shorter the interval, the more you have to rely on yourself to accurately hit uh, the pace you're going for or 
discern whether is working at one minute at this rate, the same as working at five minutes, another, I'd take it out of the equation. One of the first set of workouts I prescribed for people back in the day for staying power workouts was two on two off or five on five off that five, five workout. I probably gave to you, Kirk, like seven years ago mm-hmm. or five years oh, ago. Yeah. Uh, the other one is the version of that is song run. You just create a playlist and every time the song changes, you change. You run one song hard, one song easy, and that's it. And and so now you only have two things to worry about. You don't have to worry about doing math or anything like that. And your first one, maybe you choose a freebie and say, I'm not going to look at the watch at all. I know I can't pace. I know I suck at this. So instead of fighting myself and being pissed off the whole time, let's just wing it and see what happens. I'm going to run what I estimate to be comfortably hard for the on and then comfortably or comfortably easy on the off. Maybe it's a slightly uncomfortably easy, but you give yourself a, a feeling you want to hit and hit it every single rep for the prescribed distance and then go take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, you're going to see your nice little splits each time. I was running eight minute pace and 10 minute, eight minute, 10, eight minute, 10, and suddenly eight thirty twelve. Okay. Now I have something to work off here. You can also do that. You can say, I'm not going to shoot any prescribed pace because I know I can't. I'm going to go feel it for a while and then start checking in on things. We talked about that heart rate monitor game that we love playing, which is when you run with a good heart rate monitor, guess what it's going to be? Look down and confirm. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, you have to do that every 10 seconds, just like you're doing with pace. You look down every 10 seconds and eventually you realize I'm pretty close every time. I'm going to check every 20 seconds and then every 30 and then every 60. And eventually, you know what it's going to say before you even see it. And that's that you do the same thing with the pacing. Look down the whole time. (laughs) Who cares? Or you can set it to have most watches, you can set up parameters where it beeps if you go outside. Let's say you are trying to run at exactly 10 minute mile pace. Well, you set it to 945 and 1015. And if you get outside of that parameter, it beeps and it gets, it calls attention to what was I just doing with my form or my effort that I got outside of that range. Or you can set it as, I think you can set it down to five second uh, parameters on those. So you could sit between 958 and 1003 or 10 and 10.05 and just sit there and it'll beep you right back into, it's like wearing an, an electric collar. Like you get to the doors of that fence and you're going to get a little jolt. That's just what's going to happen. And that's fine. So there are multiple ways of doing this, but early on, simple is just fine. Yep. I very much agree. Okay. So let's walk people through how to implement this into their training. So Let's say you are, which most people are, you will do your workouts, you will take a rest or a very easy jog recovery uh, at most, but you're a, you know, work hard and rest, work hard and rest. Like that's a typical interval setup for you, which is very common. Where do you start? Well, for starters, you take, uh, I know you're going to jump in. I thought you were asking me a question. <laughs> I wasn't prepared I was, for it, so I had to take a deep breath. I was asking a question I was about to answer. It was a rhetorical. Sure. Rhetorical question. Yes. Um, is this. You switch your rest to a jog or run recovery, step one. Okay. Let's say you typically do mile repeats and mm-hmm. you give yourself two minutes rest. Pretty standard. You see that a lot, two, three minutes rest, mile repeats. Well, instead of resting or walk recovery, now you are going out there and you are going to jog at minimum. Ideally, what we start with on these prescribed recoveries 
is we run our typical recovery run pacing somewhere in that realm. So let's say your recovery runs, you run 12 minute pace, roughly that that's where our starting point is. We try to make the bottom end of that recovery barrel, our typical recovery pacing. It's not a perfect science. We understand recovery pacing fluctuates based on, you know, daily stressors and fatigue and all that, but it's an approximate. So you're hitting mile repeats. Well, maybe you're shooting, you know, you're going to run 12 minute pace for your three minute recoveries instead of resting. And then you're going to let those miles fall where they're going to fall, wherever those things fall. But the idea is we're going to start there. So switching over your pure rest, you know, quarter mile repeats with 60 seconds rest. So you could do any any version of anything you're doing. Step one, try to try to hit your recovery run pacing. It's just a general rule of thumb. That's where I would start if you haven't done this before. See what metrics come from that. That would be the starting point number one. What would you suggest? Exact same thing with the goal to progress it up to easy pace over time. I think that th those are the two easiest things to hit. Because if you can eventually... Why don't you explain the difference there? Sorry. The difference okay. like you recovery and easy, people probably hear the same thing when they hear that. So basically, if you just did a big workout and you wanted to go out for a run on your next running day, but you know you're not ready to work or even feel good and you're just out there jogging, you're not trying to hit a pace, you're just trying to move enough to get the legs moving, your heart pumping a little bit and recover from the work while getting a little bit of work in. That's the pace. Or as an easy run is you're fully fresh and recovered going in and you're not trying to work hard either, but you're feeling good and just running, running well, running easy. But it can be for me, let's say personally, if my 5k pace is five minutes, a recovery run for me is in the eights and an easy run is in the high sixes, low sevens. So if I'm starting at eight minute pace on these, these recovery efforts during my interval session during this prescribed recovery if my goal is to start at eight minute and run mile intervals then eventually i'd like to get it down to seven minutes and if i can get it down to 640 then i'll probably have tapped out what i need to do there and now i can start cranking faster on the ons that's how i would look at it i didn't i was distracting you from your point but i just wanted you to explain that you were going somewhere i think my point was made Start at recovery pace, progress to easy pace, and then you can start working the ceiling. Yep. And so we start there. Replace true rest or walk recovery with a prescribed pace that is typically recovery run as now you understand. From there, uh, which is about where I started with, like, with run recovery for me would be, that's about where I started when I experimented with all of this. And you'll be surprised how much work that actually ends up feeling like because your prescribed recovery pace doesn't allow your heart rate to get nearly as low as like a walk recovery or a true rest. So you look down and you're like, shoot, my heart rate's still in the 140s or the one, like it's still in the 140s and I got to go again. You're like, mm -hmm. so that is very effective. This isn't the easy way out by starting at, you know, prescribed recovery as a typical recovery run pace. Like this is going to completely change the dynamics of this interval session for you. Like turn it upside down. So it's a great starting point, no matter how advanced you are with your training or how new you are to this, doesn't discriminate. So I just want to point that out. Like this, this is still going to be very difficult and a big change for you. Yes, yeah. it will be. From there. And I think it's important. No, go ahead. No, you can go. Oh, go ahead. No. From there. You're up. I, I think I was going to start where you're going to start. No, I want, well, let's this see is your how, episode. Let's, no, it's not. I refuse. Let's see how good you are. Okay. Okay. From there, choosing the on slightly more difficult. 
But my belief on this is that it's kind of like starting weightlifting where it's a new stimulus for most runners. And so you're going to get better whether you're working at the exact right stimulus or a little bit under it. I'd rather start under than over. And I'm interested to hear if you think the same thing, but if you used to run, let's say at 5k pace, your mile interval, and then two minute walk, now you're two minute running, I would go down at least one race deviation. So I would start at 10k pace at the fastest, but most likely I would do two race pace deviations, maybe all the way back to 15k pace, because you can always ramp it up as you go. But generally your first workout, it becomes very apparent that you're not used to recovering like this. And so 10k pace feels like 5k very, very quickly. And if you're working on systemic change, not pace change, it doesn't matter what pace you're running if it feels the same way and is doing the same thing inside of you. So I would generally start just like you could start at easy, but we're going to do recovery. I would start two pace deviations to the slow side, knowing that we're going to get better either way, but this gives me a lot of room for upward progression in the workout. Yeah. This is not a workout you want to go out too hard in these styles because it makes for a long workout and pretty soon your recovery starts blending with your hard interval sessions and it all becomes kind of a mess. We don't want that. We want some discrepancy here. Mm -hmm. So I agree. You can work into the workouts, start slower than you believe you're probably capable of and work into it. And what I find now is after implementing this style for a bit, my top end metrics are just as good as, as if I were completely resting. Sometimes I've even surpassed now because my engine has become mm. much bigger. And so ultimately, like your fi- your mile repeats with two minutes rest, and let's say you hit to nine-minute pace on average for those. I think after a couple of cracks at this and your fitness improving, your stay power improving, um, suddenly you're hitting nine-minute pace, but now you're jogging recovery at 12-minute pace, and you're like, wow, like how much more did I get out of this session? while not allowing myself to recover. And I found that to be true across the board. There are some exceptions when you get to the real pointy end of the spear, um, when you're running real short, Mm -hmm. fast, spicy stuff. But um, that's sort of the goal, right? Like see if we can't attain our metrics, but not allowing ourselves to fully recover between intervals. That's a great sign that you've improved your threshold, in my opinion, your stay power. And so that's a nice goal to shoot for. Um, So yeah, I agree with you for sure. Not where I was going to go with it though, but I agree with you. Oh, where were you going to go? Well, after that point where you're happy with your top end metrics in conjunction with your recovery prescription, then you start closing the gap. You start prescribing things that are a little risky, seeing what happens. Tyler Germain in that interview said he does a three, two mm-hmm. float workout in marathon prep for up to 90 minutes. That's his big last push before his marathon. 90 minutes, 3-2 float. We are kind of talking about float recovery now, which is a whole subjective thing. But he would go three minutes at like 450 pace and then two minutes at like 515 pace, 510 pace. There was only a 20-second discrepancy. He was going in and out of marathon pacing and then under, marathon pacing and then under. He had a 20-second window. That was it. And that is a very advanced, like, talk about running in threshold. That guy had to be, I mean, his lactate threshold buffering system has to be on point to do that. And so you can get as close as Tyler Germain outlined, which would be like 20 seconds a mile difference between your hard and easy. Oh, easy and very heavy quotes. And then anywhere in between. And so what you do is say, okay, I've gotten comfortable with this recovery pacing type uh, recovery between intervals. And now let's just 
test the waters a little. Let's make this more of a grind. I need to grind today. Well, instead of your 12-minute pace recovery, mm-hmm. you're going to choose 11 today. You're going to see what happens. The, the hard efforts will be what they be. But what you do is you generally just start to ratchet down your prescription in between things. Don't the Ingebrigtsens do a big style of workout like this where they're – you follow their training better than I do, but their double threshold training, does it mm-hmm. look similar to this at times? Do you know? They do mostly walk and jog rest do they? because they're bringing their blood lactate levels down to a point every time. And then they start again, though. They're hitting a specific point and bringing it down right. to a point, and then they start. So their recovery times can change a little bit, but they generally go easy on their recoveries. But again, they're also training for an event with no well, one peak. No, yeah, really fair. no valleys, no peaks in their race. They they run an incredibly smooth heart rate and pace line throughout their races. And a lot of short recovery when they're testing like that. It's like their recovery might be very, very brief because the metrics come down so quickly. They do a lot of 60 to 90 yeah. second recovery. That was a bad example. I thought maybe they, they had wedged it in there. I thought I had seen something on one of their channels. But um, regardless. And maybe they do. The, the prescription there is to to sort of ratchet down over time your prescription where it can almost look like this, like, you know, you look at your heart rate graph and it's just these little bumps. Now it's just like a little bump, little Valley, little bump. There's not, you're not going to see these big spikes and spikes and dips. You're going to see like this, like speed bumps. And that's a beautiful, beautiful graph in this prescribed recovery type workout, these float intervals, very productive. So eventually you work your way towards that. I think almost every high level marathoner you and I know love these workouts. And a lot of times they refer to them as over under workouts. Sure. And that's when I think you use that term that that's indicative of when you've moved to that level where you're really closing the gap between the paces where you have one pace and you just go slightly above it, slightly under above, over, under, over, under, over, under, but you're trying to stay just on either side of that line so that you're basically trying to figure out what is the fastest I can go on while still recovering enough to make my uh, my over how close can i get on my under and still hit my over and that's that that advanced version of this workout john dewitt's another marathoner we know he's a 217 guy i've talked about this a lot he it's funny tyler does his three two john did 1600 1000 meters on 600 meters off (laughs) exactly they're pretty much the same workout what was that going to be like 320 and two minutes Close, or something yeah. like that. It's very, very similar. And that's the one, Humble Pie, I used to run his off as my on. And then I'd slow jog recover during his on because I couldn't hang. But he was going 455 10, 455-10, 455-10. Same thing. A 20-second gap. He's just going over under, over under. He's not taking rest periods and he's not having ons. It's just like cross the line under, cross it hedge back a little bit that's that's the point we want to all you know hopefully aspire to get to which is our big gaps are no longer big gaps and one thing that ocr has taught us and a lot of these our listeners are not ocr athletes but one of the crazy things about obstacle course racing is that it really changes your perspective of how you can recover and what allows you to recover so when you first do an obstacle course race, everything you do outside of running just as a dagger to your gas tank, you jump over a wall and you clench the whole time and it knocks some breath out of you and you get to the other side like, oh, I'm almost like slightly nauseous and I'm going to need a quarter mile to get back together. And eventually you get good and efficient at a wall and simply just going over a wall 
drops your breathing rate a little bit and gives you three seconds of recovery and you can accelerate off of it. It's probably how good steeplechasers feel, which is it's no longer a huge taxation to go over the barrier. I get to take one second away from running my stride each time. And this is what these in and out workouts do, these over-unders or prescribed recovery, is it changes your perspective and your perception of what recovery can look like. At the beginning, you have to walk to hit your pace. At the beginning, for me, eight-minute pace feels like a very tenuous situation to recover at. But eventually, 640 might be something I can hit the same levels of recovery at. And so while interval sessions are very good at raising your ceiling, this is a really good workout at raising your floor. Now I know what's worst case in a race. If I can run John DeWitt, if he can run 455-10, he knows that what, what worst case scenario, I'm going to fade back to 510. <clears throat> Whereas if he's running only intervals at 440 and resting walking, his floor is kind of unknown to him. So these are floor raising workouts as much as anything. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, as we work on wrapping this thing up here, I'm just looking at the clock. Um, we, we don't get to rest during races, if I'm not mistaken, do we, Bracken? Very rarely. Like, oh, time out, everybody catch your breath before we before we can we resume. And, and this philosophy I'm just starting to build is like, we, we don't rest in races ever. So it should be very rare in training that we actually allow ourselves to do that as well because we want to teach to the test. What does transitioning your training or at least some of your quality sessions to this type of work do for you? I believe it makes you better at buffering lactate. I believe it gives you confidence in order to control your pacing. And I also believe it gives you confidence to push through when things get bad. Most of the time in these workouts, I'm like, I am not ready for my next hard interval yet. Like I am not ready, but I have to, like I've told my, like, this is what I've decided today. And I get into it and my body eventually responds how I want it to. And it builds a confidence that you can work hard when you don't feel like you're ready to, or you don't want to. And so I'm just believing that one, I think this improves your ability to buffer in and out of lactate. So like take those hits a little bit, that hill won't impact you as much because your body is used to spiking and then recovering at a rate of work. The obstacle you go over is the same principle applies. And so I just, you know, this isn't completely tried and true, but what it feels like it's done for me is continue to move the needle on my stay power and make, allow me to make decisions. And, and I think that's powerful when it comes to racing. Mm. And so if it's for nothing else than confidence in your body's ability to do what it is told, then that's enough. But I do believe that it extends the benefit, keeps the heart rate more in the threshold zones for longer, even when you're doing quality high-end work. And uh, two for one isn't such a bad thing most of the time. And so something I've been playing with, and um, I think you're going to be doing a little more of it, aren't you? yourself oh absolutely yeah 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 it only makes sense to me i would say probably 50 percent of my interval work moving forward will be like this give or take yeah and, and i think only times in which i'm starting to feel real sluggish and just a little sticky whether it's due to fatigue or it's due to what i might you know pop some shorter intervals with pure rest just to get some economy back but the bulk of my decisions now are I'm all, I'm thinking about what I want to hit for a hard pacing, but I'm also thinking about what I want to hit for my recovery pacing pretty much every time now. And it just seems to, just seems to work. And maybe there'll be some science behind it. We can show someday, but, mm -hmm. um, that's how I'm feeling about it. Do you have, what else do you want to add to this conversation as we, we close things out? 
Well, I do want to say that one of the beautiful pieces of this workout to me is that the work doesn't stop when the on interval stops. You, like you said, you're still having some sort of lactate production while you're jogging or running easy. And so you're still working there, but the work on your running doesn't stop either. No matter how tired you are, as soon as you start a quote unquote hard interval, you start running harder and you run well. Whereas when you stop an interval to walk, you don't get to work on anything. When you start these easy intervals rather than recovery intervals during this session, you get to work on the skill of running. And the easy default is to slouch into the recovery. Totally. Just sag your form down and do everything possible to recover. And that's the wrong way to do this. We always try to run well when we run fast. This workout is like the, it's mandatory to run as perfectly as possible on your easy. Even if that means lowering your expectation of the easy, easy pace a little bit, because you don't want to drill bad habits here, but you can really get a big bang for your buck of running a lot of easy paced running during this workout with really good form and mechanics and making sure that your skill rises by the end of this. You don't want to practice bad habits, but it's easy to practice bad habits on this type of workout. You see people change to that, that shuffle where I'm just in pure recovery mode. That's not what we're shooting for. Yeah. And that's actually something, a conscious decision I had to make on Saturday during my, my five, four, three, two, one workout was I had to run well. I actually had to keep proper mechanics to keep pacing and also actually to allow me to recover better. I couldn't let things start to slip. It's a very good point. So you're never practicing bad habits. It doesn't allow for that. Um, which is powerful. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, something of note, humans listening. Um, I've had some t-shirt and hats orders still coming through and we're starting to run lower on inventory for some of the popular sizes. So if it's been on your to-do list to order t-shirts or a hat and you haven't, you might want to get on it quick before some of them are gone. I think a few sizes are gone in larges. I could be wrong, but go look because um, sporadic orders are still coming through, chipping away at our inventory. So you might want to get on that if, it, if you haven't gotten around to it yet. That's the only plug I got today, Bracken. It's good. We're right at an hour here. So wrap her up, move on with our day. Yeah. So thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully you get something out of this. If you experiment with this, we'd love for you to tag the running public on Instagram and show some graphs. I'd like to see those little speed bumps and, and your thoughts on, on playing around with this. Um, I think it's powerful stuff. So tag us in that if you give it a try. Absolutely. Good luck with these. These are fun. Till next time, folks. Thank you.